Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However you're watching, wherever you're watching, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, it is the Bet Online Salute Detroit podcast, and we have the tripod here, the bearded bandits. Jamal just shaved five minutes ago, no lie, and he has a 6 p.m. shadow, not even 5 o'clock shadow. It's the 6 p.m., the one that's really dark casting on you. I'll start off with you, Jamal. How are you doing today, madman? Doing well, Coach. Great to see you as always. Great to see Ryan as always, and uh, excited to get into it. Never, never a dull moment in USC land. So, which is great for us. We always have things to talk about, and even if we didn't have things to talk about, we'd find a way to talk about things. So, but excited to be with you guys as always. And we have the founder himself off of a six-hour road trip, Ryan Dirude. How are you doing, Ryan? What's up, brothers? Yeah, all good. Happy to be back. Nice little. Get away to Phoenix for the weekend. Uh, always exhausting uh, the travel, uh, but luckily my daughter's a road warrior. Luckily she's great, so that doesn't add to the tire. But good to be back. Always good uh, chatting with you. We got some fun stuff this week, and, and specifically today to get into. It seems I feel like almost every episode we're like have a plan. Like all right, we'll get to this position group, and then like some news breaks with SC. I'm like, damn, there's always some like big news that actually breaks. And today we have two things to talk about. We're still waiting to finish the DBs. Yeah. <laughs> the DBs have been on hold. Christmas. Yep, since before Christmas. I'm sure, Fred, there's uh, one of our listeners out there who's been waiting for this DB segment <laughs> is, is quoting Will Ferrell, kind of saying, I don't know what they're doing. I never know what they're doing back there. What are they doing? <laughs> oh, Ryan, I will say this. Next time you travel to Arizona, if you buy your tickets early enough, I think it's like hundred under $100 round trip. And it's 45 minutes up and down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But for three, then that's still three hundred dollars round trip for three of us. And and gas Probably. in Arizona is like two fifty right now. So it was like, you know, eighty dollars round trip to drive. Speaking of gas, I paid under fifty dollars this morning. I paid forty nine fifty. Where in where did LA? you fill up at Corona? What was the what was the price per gallon under four dollars? Four oh seven. Four oh seven. Wow. Well, yep. if it makes. What what if Candace was here, she'd appreciate this. But yeah, this morning leaving Phoenix, I filled up for two twenty nine. So ridiculous. wow, I filled up twice. Right when we got to the border, like I didn't even need it, but I'm like I'm just <laughs> topping this thing off. Ryan, but pouring gas in other containers and you know putting it in the trunk, yeah. bringing it over. Arrowhead bottles full of gas, <laughs> whatever I can do. I was like offering to people, like, do you need more gas? Like I'll just pay for it because it's so cheap. We're storing this in the garage. I don't want to hear any more questions. Like, gas is not an issue. Yeah. So, big news came out today, gentlemen, and it's finally official. Miller Moss will be quarterback number one going into the spring. No more speculations. Nothing's going down. Caleb Williams has declared for the NFL draft. Um, I'm interested to see how bad he strong arms the Chicago Bears. Because rumors are he doesn't want to go there. If that does happen, I want to see what happens with that. Are we going to have an Eli Manning situation? Which puts the Bears in a bad situation because there's another rumor coming out saying they're willing to trade down to number eight, trade Justin Fields down to number eight to the Falcons, and the Falcons go up to it will go up. So Caleb Williams is now a historic quarterback for USC. His jersey will go up in the stands. It's kind of interesting because one of my roommates, Stefan Johnson, wore number 13. So I'm going to tell my kids that was my roommate. <laughs> I know. That was, I was your roommate, like, too. You had right, just to be clear, how many roommates did you have? Because yeah. All right, it so, seems like every episode you have a new roommate from Taylor Mays mates? and Stefan Johnson. Or no, so we stayed at Cardinal. Cardinal Gardeners was a legit 
apartment. So my freshman year was Taylor. It was Taylor and David Bueller. And then Taylor the Mays, kid, for those that don't know. Yeah. Yeah, David Taylor Bueller. Mays. We know we know the David Bueller story. <laughs> yeah, coach. David Bueller. We won't we, we won't share it on air, but we, we're it, aware it was, of the story. It was just the it was just <laughs> it was just the three of us my freshman year. So it was uh oh sorry, Stanley Avili, and then he moved out with Kaluka Mayava. But then so it was just me, Taylor, and David uh my freshman year. Then my sophomore year, I didn't want to pay rent. So I was just like, I'll stay on Cardinal Gardens again and get a lesser stipend. It is what it is. And so that year, it was just me and Stefan and Cardinal when we each had our own room. We got lucky somehow. I don't know how that happened, but that was, like, really lucky. So, like, normally you share a room. So I shared my freshman year. I shared my room with Taylor Mays, and David Bueller shared with Stanley until Stanley moved out. And then he had another roommate for a short time, and he got moved out. Tap in. Uh, <laughs> real quick, real quick, just because you brought up sharing a room in, in an apartment, and this is off topic, and then we gotta, we'll got we get into it. But my sophomore year, I went to Long Beach State. I lived in uh, these apartments called Beverly Plaza, which was kind of similar to probably maybe to Cardinal Garden, whereas after the dorms at Long Beach, everyone their sophomore year moved to these apartments. That was like the rite of passage. You do dorms, then you do these apartments, and then you go get houses all over Long Beach. So it's the Beverly and, and Park Ave apartments. And so we had a two-bedroom, two-bath. There was four of us. In the room, me and my my buddy Dean shared. It was such a small room that we each had a double bed, and there was literally probably three inches between our beds. So we basically were in the same bed. Our beds were three inches apart, touching, and we had our dresser that we shared in the closet because it wouldn't even fit in the room. So it was like, and then the other room that my other two roommates were in was like this massive, massive bedroom that probably all four of us could have fit in, but you know. We got the small one. I got the shortest. So I paid. You, I only paid like three hundred bucks a month. So you pulled the yeah. short straw. Yeah, you pulled. You guys pulled the short straw. But yeah, let so me that, ask that's a question here. Let me just ask you a question, and then we'll. I promise we'll get on topic. How close do the beds have to be to be considered one bed? Like, what what's the threshold there? Do the beds have to be touching? Are we talking? You know, a few inches. What's your take on that, right? That's I a mean, good just, question because just I before you go, it, Ryan. Right before you go, yeah. you got to think about it. If you remember, I love Lucy. They slept in the same room in a separate bed, but basically they slept in the same bed. So that's just think about that with your threshold. So you're trying to say me and me and Dean had a, had a year of of romance. Is that you're trying to say? <laughs> no, you, you guys uh, because I lived it. Bed. Because I lived it, I'll say less than three inches. Since we were three inches apart, I say we were still two beds. Anything less would have been a single a, a single bed. Okay. <laughs> but All it was, right. Yeah, it was close. So when you had company, you had a for sure sock on the door. Like, there's yeah. no, because it was so close. Yeah, I got you. If you were on the opposite sides, you might. Have well, it sounds like their beds were close enough where if they were both just in the room, <laughs> the sock would be on the door. So. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's right. funny. Good times, though. All right. Yeah. So um, anyway, we got off topic because Stefan, Stefan was a Marine. He wore 13. I'm telling my kids that Stefan. Caleb was going to the NFL. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope it works out for him. It just it's just unfortunate that good quarterbacks go in the first in the top of the rounds when you really need a quarterback and they go to bad teams. And hopefully the Bears could oh they can't get it together. I'm not even gonna try that. So they haven't got it together yet. So um, their podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What are your I'll go I'll shoot it over to the madman. What is your opinion? Caleb finally declaring. Say your final goodbyes so we can move so it can be Miller time. Yeah, no, Fred. I mean, obviously, 
this was something that I certainly expected. I think we all did. I think it was fun to sort of explore the art of the possible here, but it was 100% that this was going to happen. I think CJ Stroud last year uh, declared on the final day, you know, just to kind of build the suspense. I think Caleb did the same thing here, but this was a foregone conclusion. Really, after USC kind of got out of contention about the ninth or 10th game, we were sort of expecting this. Uh, he'll go down as the most talented player to ever play quarterback. I've always said I believe that Aaron Rodgers was the most talented guy to ever play quarterback in the NFL, and I, but he wasn't the greatest winner, obviously, in the NFL. And I, I think similarly of Caleb Williams at USC, I think he's the most talented guy to ever play quarterback at USC. Uh, no question about it. Uh, but obviously from a winning standpoint, that was a different story. He'll have the number 13. Uh, it was a tremendous two years. And I think it's time to move on. I wish him all the best, obviously, moving forward. And I think hopefully he looks at his sort of college experience as a time of learning. It's kind of fitting that we were sort of talking about some college memories to start this show because college is a time to find yourself. It's a time to learn. It's a time to discover. And hopefully he discovered and learned enough about leadership, about character, about doing things kind of the right way in the locker room, body language, galvanizing teammates. I think that's kind of the biggest gap right now in his resume. And hopefully this experience, particularly in 2023, was the ultimate laboratory and the ultimate learning experience for him to be better from moving forward. Because I think we can all agree there are gaps right now in terms of his leadership ability, I think his ability to sort of galvanize a team. So hopefully... This was a great learning experience for him and through, you know, those failures that he's going to have an incredible amount of success moving forward. Now, I have to be completely honest, and this is not a knock in any way, shape or form. You know, sometimes when you have like a pain or, you know, some sort of like shooting pain or some sort of weird sensation and you're, you're not sure what it is. Uh, you know, and then you decide, you know, to go to the doctor to go get it checked out and then you go to the doctor and, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. But and, and you kind of believe it's nothing. But, you, you, you know, in the back of your mind, you're not 100 percent sure you go to the doctor and the doctor finally tells you, oh, it's nothing. And then you're finally relieved. That's kind of how I felt today about uh, Kayla Williams declaring, you know, because, uh, you know, for as great a talent as he is, I think it would have been pretty detrimental to what USC is trying to build from a culture standpoint if he did come back as great as he is. And so. I think for me, uh, his his declaration today was kind of the equivalent of kind of going to the doctor and, and being relieved uh, that it was nothing more more severe. And so, again, wish him all the best. I think there's some growth here. He's always going to be number 13 in, in, in the rafters there uh, of the Coliseum. And he's going to be sort of immortalized, obviously, as one of the eight Heisman winners. But I'm also very excited that there's going to be a turning of the page for for Lincoln Riley and for this program in 2024. Yeah, with that being said, if he would have came back, he would have for sure had to go to the portal. You can't, as a coach and trying to build culture, he would have had to go to the portal. You have been away from the team for almost three, mo three months now. Oh, two months, right? Since the UCLA game, you've been away from the team. You can't just come back and jump in and pick up where you left off. Like, we just have to move on without you. So, yeah, definitely, if – that would have been the best thing to do, and it would have sucked. And that's why I told Ryan to get that article ready because that would have been a big one. That Ryan. would have been. I mean, Fred. The one thing I'll say is, that, I mean, can you imagine just on the flip side there, 
if he, he chose to come back, I have a hard time believing that Lincoln Riley wouldn't give him the starting job. And then how do you sort of explain that to the team, to the locker room? Look, he chose not to play the Holiday Bowl. He sort of chose to take some time to kind of digest and reflect what he needs to do. And now, oh, by the way, he's back, and now he's got the keys to the kingdom. That would have been a real travesty from a culture standpoint, which is why I knew he was always going to declare, but there was kind of a sense of relief um, that he declared today, unfortunately, because he's such a prodigious talent. But hopefully he's, he's learning from this, and he has learned from this, and, and he's ready to kind of carry an NFL franchise on his shoulders. You have no faith in Lincoln Riley, Jamal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a hard time believing that Lincoln Riley would have stayed with Miller Moss if Caleb Williams comes back. I, I and, and I have a hard time believing anybody associated with USC football would believe otherwise. You know, uh, that would be a, a tough pill to swallow there. Yeah. And what coach would, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have told him to go. I'm just letting you guys I'm just being honest with you. Like if he would have done that, I'm like, uh coach, I'm gonna come back. I'm like, I think you need to go to the portal. Like, we can't move on with you. We've already established something here and we we're we're moving forward and you we can't you're holding this back. I would have told him I would have told him to go to the portal. Ryan, what do you think? Caleb Williams declaring for the draft. Yeah, yeah, and that may have been the conversation right at the end of the year. Like, look, if you want to be here, like you're playing the holiday ball and you're in. So I think as soon as they announced that he wasn't playing, maybe it was that was the conversation. But no, I mean, I don't need to add too much to what Jamal said. I completely agree. Um, you know, a, a very interesting career at USC, the ups, the downs. Um, it was kind of a bummer, obviously, for the sake of the season, but just in terms of of legacy, kind of how it ended, it seems like there was almost a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths and and whatever, how it ended. Um, but we'll go down as, as a great USC quarterback, obviously a Heisman winner, Lincoln Riley's third Heisman winner. Um and it gets me more thinking, and then I'll get to just kind of, you know, you know, all the congrats and, and looking forward to watching him in the NFL and great talent. But it gets you thinking, like, had these seasons been reversed, and this is a huge, obviously, hypothetical what if, but had these seasons been reversed and, and year one ended up eight and five and the defense is what it was and, and Lincoln Riley moved on from Grinch and built this defensive staff, which we're going to talk about in the show for year two with Caleb Williams, like what could have been this season had they had this going into this season. So we'll never know. Uh, unfortunately it was the opposite. And it was a, it was a down year for Lincoln Riley down year for the team, a down year for, for Caleb Williams, but he'll still be the the number one overall pick, whoever is picking there. And, you know, I'll be still one of his biggest fans. It was, it was so fun to watch him uh, all throughout his career here. And, you know, for all some of the the bad stuff at the end or the questions of leadership or all that, Watching him play was was certainly fun. I mean, some of the the highlights and and some of the moves and and stuff that you see him do were just you know so fun to watch and just made football fun again at the Coliseum. That you know the end of the Clay Helton years were not the case. And so for that, you know, I think SC fans need to certainly thank him for for other reasons, but for bringing fun back to football, for bringing you know USC back on the map and and kind of what him and Lincoln coming together and then now obviously you know building on past him. I think was was truly great and truly should be remembered in that ilk and and not some of the other stuff in my opinion. Um, so wish him nothing but the best. Uh, was just a fun player to cover, fun player to watch. Um, and then like Jamal and you said, coach, just really excited now to turn the page and and see this culture that's building um, with this new staff with Miller Moss. You know, Jaden Maeva, as we talked about transferring in the new QB room. So it'll be fun to now be as Jamal said that relief of like okay. Now let's move forward and see. 
not because of anything bad, but it would have been bad. I totally agree. After sitting out all of a sudden he comes back and you know, it's what's going on here. So um, great career, great college career. Can't wait to see what he does in the NFL and excited now for USC moving forward. Um, not because of anything bad, but just turning the page onto something new. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I wish him nothing but the best too. Jamal, here's the funny part: John David Booty's career was more successful than his. No, for sure. I mean, you know, you. I mean, Mark Sanchez's career was more successful than his in in one year, right? So it's uh, it's uh, it's a you know it. Obviously, we'll we'll remember Caleb for it. It's interesting. We're gonna remember him for sort of individual moments, um, but. If I were to say five years from now, seven years from now, tell me Caleb Williams' signature win at USC or tell me Caleb Williams' signature moment at USC, I think it would be hard to come up with one. And, and I think he was great. He had great sort of stats. He was obviously sublime. Certain plays come to mind. But it's, it's a very unique place in, in USC history. When you think about OJ, when you think about Reggie, when you think about Marcus Allen and Leinart and on and on the list you go, Whenever you think about those players, there is a signature moment or two or three that comes to mind immediately. With Caleb, I'm not sure that's really the case. And that's, I think, what just makes him such an interesting figure uh, in the history of USC football. To me, he is not as much sort of a Reggie Bush and a Matt Leinart as he is Todd Marinovich with the Heisman Trophy. Just because of kind of the, the polarization and you know sort of the conflict and kind of the nuance that's how I will remember him more as Todd Marinovich with the Heisman Trophy than someone closer to some of those other legends no knock on him I just think that's kind of how the narrative arc played out for Caleb at USC I still wish him nothing but the best absolutely Uh, we Uh, all do yep Yep. wish him nothing but the best Mo I just hope he comes back that tells me if he's a Trojan or not if he comes back if he comes back you have to apologize because that means he did appreciate the culture. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Uh, before we move on, I want to let you guys know division rounds going down tonight. We're going to find out who's playing in the final game on Saturday, I believe. Um, if you want to get it on the division round, actually put in a little four game parlay. You want to go to betonline.ag where you get all the up to the minute odds, stats, and you can put it in the best waivers possible. That's betonline.ag. Put in promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. We'll give you a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. So, that's kind of funny because, when you, I mean, if you understand how the coaching world works, this job was already secured before last night's loss when you make an announcement this fast. So, that means he already interviewed and moved on. But today, the Trojans announced Eric Henderson, a.k.a. Coach Henny, is coming to be the D-line coach for USC. <clears throat> so, and when you, when you look around, you look at it, a lot of people have mixed feelings about it, and they're like, uh, even even they said in the Slack, there's a lot, of, there's LA on LA crime. But I think this one's a little bit different. I think this was a move made by Henderson to advance his career. Because he's dealt with a he's dealt with a tall task here. Because when you look at it, there's like one big guy. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is still a developmental roster, and we're gonna see that when we break down the defensive line and when we get well, if we eventually get to it, we'll get to it before August gets here. I'll tell you that. But <laughs> this is this this is gonna be a true testament of coaching. And me and Tab have this art have this argument all the time. 
in college you're teaching and in the NFL you're coaching, right? And a, and a lot of people, some people will understand it, but Tav's like, I don't, I don't get what you're saying. In college you're teaching these kids how to play games because they learned so many bad habits in high school. In the NFL, you're legit coaching. Like, hey, you see where your hand placement is? Like, you know it belongs here, here. Like, you're you're perfecting, you're crafting the game. You're not doing so much teaching as you are to a college kid because the level of coaches are about the same. There's pro coaches and college coaches, Division One, like, and so all the technique is pretty much the same. That's why when you go to the combine, they just jump in the drills. They don't have to teach them anything. This will make the team better, and I think this is like the icing on the cake of what Lincoln Riley wanted to do. He had a vision. He stepped forward. He went and saw it. He went and got a pro defensive line coach. That shows that he knows that he has to win up front, right? He still needs to do better recruiting because he hasn't got the guys to win up front per se. Not knocking these guys, but Fair Alexander realistically is a defensive end. You know what I mean? He needs to go get two more, three more rakes, and now you got a dominant defensive line just to, that gets that knockback. But you got somebody to teach these guys good technique, and you also have somebody to teach these guys how to be a pro and teach you how to take the game serious and teach you how to treat the job, treat the game like a job. So if you want to be a pro, you have somebody in your room teaching you how to be a pro. I think it's a good move. Now that the staff is set, I think he completely washed it. He got some good guys, and this final thing makes it shows that he's ready to compete for a national championship. So now only time will tell. It's kind of like the Dodgers and Dave Roberts. They've taken away all excuses. No more excuses, right? <laughs> you have everything you need. It's all right there in front of you. Let's move forward. So I'm really excited about this Henderson hire. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I love the hire. Uh, it's funny. We, I was literally recording our, our Ram show for LA people never right before this. And obviously it's a huge loss for the Rams. So it's, it's an interesting like topic because one big loss for one of the teams we cover and, and a great gain for the other team um, we cover, but no, I think this is a great hire. Um, you know, he's, obviously orchestrated some great defensive lines uh, with the Rams. We can point specifically to this is past even Kobe, Kobe Turner, third round pick. Uh, and, and to me where you see coaching and coach, you can speak much more on this, but Kobe Turner started slow. And in the final, like seven games recorded six sacks tied Aaron Donald for the most sacks as a rookie in franchise history with nine and that all came as the season progressed you could see the improvement throughout the year through the coaching we've seen him do it time and time again guys like Greg Gaines Sebastian Joseph Day um so just really you know helped solidify that D-line and in my opinion was one of the great D-line coaches in the NFL and comes to college for me why I think he he made this move obviously you get the co-defensive coordinator title but it kind of felt a little bit like a, an Eric B enemy situation where mm. as great as I think coach Henderson is, and I truly believe he is good, probably a lot around the league. Everyone's like, well, yeah, you have Aaron Donald. Like it's, it's easy to look good when Aaron Donald's, you know, on your defensive line. And so I think he's better than that because as I mentioned with the other players that he's, he's orchestrated, but I think for him, he needed to get away from Aaron Donald to prove how elite of a coach he can be. And so now he can go into a situation, stay in LA. He probably got a little pay raise too, if we're being honest, coming to coming to USC. Um, gets that co-defensive coordinator title, and now he can help construct a defense that was one of the worst in college football last year. And if he can help turn around 
um, then he can truly prove his salt as a defensive line coach, as a guy that has called plays here and there in the pros, um, you know, mostly in preseason, but has done some a little bit in that. And then also solidified, you know, developing talent that wasn't just playing next to the great Aaron Donald. So I think that makes a lot of sense for the move. Um, and so, yeah, I, I want to, we'll talk a little bit about the overall coaching staff, but that's my thoughts on Henderson. I think it's a great hire and, and good for him as well. Man, man, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with Ryan. Ryan, it was interesting when you were when you were making the Donald point. I was anticipating it makes perfect sense that he would want to go away from Aaron Donald to sort of prove himself. But, it, it, you know, instinctively, the name I thought you were going to say is Raheem Morris, is, is that he wanted <laughs> to kind of go away from Raheem to sort of show that, you know, he's he's worthy of a coach. So I'm I'm big fan of, of Coach Henderson. Uh, I think his last couple of years with the Rams, they were obviously a top 10 uh, rushing defense. PFF had graded them as the number one rush defense this past year. I think you've seen a, a lot of the stats uh, over the course of the day now with, with Coach Henderson at USC. What, four guys with six-plus sacks with the Rams this year. Only two running backs got to 100 yards rushing in, in 17 games this year. So obviously, statistically, the resume uh, plays out really nicely for Coach Henderson in ability to, to play uh, and coach at the highest level um, and really bring an element of physicality. So I think this was a home run hire. And I think now that the staff is complete, I think when you take a step back and, and look in totality of what Lincoln Riley has been able to do in this offseason, whether you're talking about a football team or you're talking about a Fortune 500 company or you're talking about a political organization, you know, anytime you're talking about a group of people or an organization, one of the things you're always looking for for success is diversity of thought. And I think now when you step back and you look at Lincoln Riley's coaching staff, you see someone like Henderson who's coming from the NFL. You see a DeAnton Lynn who's coming from the Crosstown rival. You see an Entz that's coming from the FCS. You see a Belk who's coming from a group of five. I mean, there's just such a diversity of perspective now from all of these different levels of football, all of these different geographies, all of these different systems, and I think they're all coming together. The one thing that they all have in common over the course of the last couple of years is competence, and they've all been successful in their individual spots, but Lincoln Riley is bringing all of them together, a lot of diversity of thought, and I think it's, it's commendable that Lincoln Riley really sat back understood what his weaknesses were and really thought outside of the box, you know, went away from kind of traditional thinking and really pulled from all nooks and corners of the country and all nooks and corners of football, as he said he would do. And so uh, for that, we have to give uh, Lincoln Riley credit. Now we'll see how it translates on the field, but he's certainly done what the best he could do at this, at the stage we're in, in terms of the off season. And I think he needs to be recognized for that. So I, I will say this. I I think this is I think this is only opinion. I think the staff he had before were all yes, man, because they were happy to be at USC. And I could be wrong. Right. And it's just that's just the vibes that it gives to me. Now he's brought in a former head coach. He's bringing in a former defensive coordinator. He's bringing in another defensive coordinator. Also, DeAnton Lynn has some pro experience, too. He's bringing in a pro guy. He's bringing in guys that will legit tell Lincoln Riley, you're dead ass wrong. This is not the right way to do it. You know what I mean? I, I think that's there's going to be a lot more of that 
And when you get that, you get loyal people because loyal people, good people who want you to succeed will cover your blind spots, right? Even though it's not something you want to hear, they're looking out for you in your best interest. <coughs> All these people will tell you, nah, Lincoln, you're wrong, right? From ants like, nope, I would have never done it like that. And I've won multiple national championships. You're trying to get to where I'm getting. You'll get Henderson. That's not how we do it in the NFL. We do it like this. Maybe we can make it work. You get Deanton Lynn, who has NFL experience, cross on UCLA experience. Look, we have less money than you guys, but this is how we made it work. You get a belt from a group of five in Houston. You got you want to recruit down into Texas? This is how you do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to show you where Dana messed up. I'm going to show you where Dana got it right. Right? So I think these are people who would challenge Lincoln Riley to make him better. Compared to, I think his previous staff was more happy to be there with him, and he was always right, even though he wasn't right. You know, so I could be wrong. That's my opinion. But I kind of, you're going to, I know for a fact with this staff now, you'll get Lincoln, you're dead ass wrong. Can't do it that way. You know what I mean? (laughs) And if you see a mass exodus, that means Lincoln's, Lincoln's not in the right spot. But if they stay and it continues to grow, that means they're, Lincoln is listening to these guys and they're going to put them in the right position. That's just my opinion on it. You guys got any rebuttal to that? Any? Yeah. Any? Go ahead. I'll, no, I'll, I, I completely agree. Uh, it's a great point. And, um, you know, you see this. And this is, in my opinion, I think Sean McVay has done a good job of this with the Rams in that, speaking of Coach Henderson, like whenever they – someone plucks one of his coordinators, the thought is like, okay, it's going to be one of, you know, these great position guys that gets promoted. And for whatever reason, he always goes outside, brought in Brandon Staley outside, brought in Raheem Morris outside, brought in Mike LaFleur outside before that was Leon Cohen from outside. And so I think it's because of that challenging of thought instead of a position guy, that's kind of been a yes man all these years. Don't know that for fact, but that's kind of my opinion on it. And I think doing what Lincoln Riley is doing now is for that same kind of, system to do that and and the two other thoughts i have and then i'll, I'll be good on this because I, I just think this is a really good stuff but um one i think this shows how highly thought of d'anton lynn is because when you look at this staff in reality any of these guys could have been the dc i mean belk was a dc for four years whatever at houston i'm not saying these would have been the right hire but just saying their pedigree uh l was a not just a dc but then a head coach a two-time national champion head coach comes to be a position coach. Eric Henderson's been in the NFL for seven plus years, been one of the great defensive line coaches, has been a run game coordinator, has been probably sodding after being a DC. And so the fact that Danton Lynn with one year as a DC experience to run the defense and be the, the leader, I think shows how thought of he was by Lincoln Riley, by USC and by, I think, just circles in general with what he did in that one year and obviously his experience with the Baltimore Ravens. And two, what I also love about this staff is I think we all agree, and I'm sure others do, that, you know, Danton Lynn, as much as we love the hire, could theoretically be a one and done because I think if they do turn it around, he's going to be, you know, looking either, not saying he's particularly looking, but NFL will be calling for either DC for him or, or another school will be looking maybe as a head coach really quickly. So because of that, you have a staff now where you don't have to tear everything down if he is done because you have guys that, like I just mentioned, have either been a DC, have been a head coach, have had NFL experience. So you're able to easily slide someone up if he is gone, if this season does go well. We're getting way ahead of ourselves there. But I think that's a really you know, thought-provoking way to build this staff is having that kind of 
A, it's a good staff overall if everyone can work together well, but B, you have that plan in place. If someone does leave, you're not having to start from scratch again from the bottom up. Um, and so I think it's been, you know, we got to see it on the field. We got to see the offseason program, how it works, how quickly they can change things. Obviously they're, they're looking in the weight room, they're changing size, they're changing different drills and stuff like that. But just on paper, I think this is a, a tremendous staff that has been built in, you know, six weeks time. Yeah, no, Ryan, I, I totally agree. And I think this is, I think a step in the evolution of Lincoln Riley as a head coach moving forward, because He's going to start, if he's successful, he's going to need to start taking a page of Nick Saban's playbook. I mean, how many, every year Nick Saban gets plucked with his coordinators, has to bring folks from the outside. Again, that diversity of thinking, but then maintaining success. And to your point, all of these guys are very competent, but they're also very ambitious. And so Danton Lynn on down, you're looking at Danton Lynn is looking to go from DC to head coach Felk. Some of these other guys are looking to go from position coaches to DC and so on and so forth. So you're probably going to be in a position where you're going to have to replace multiple of these guys because there's only one DC position, right? And they all can't get it. And so again, you're going to start getting into this method of turnover, but healthy turnover where you're going to start pulling in, you're going to identify what are your values, what are your strategic pillars, what are the things that you're really looking for, and allow kind of the culture and the organization to be able to sort of absorb it, regardless of who it is, and be able to kind of do it over and over again. So I think it's going to be really fascinating if this is truly year one of Lincoln Riley kind of building a team from scratch. Let's see how this staff plays out. On paper, it looks quite good. Yeah, and and turnover, that type of turnover is good turnover. Exactly. You know why? You know why that type of turnover is a good turnover? That means you're successful. Exactly. And so that means yeah. you're winning. So that means that's the type of turnover we want. And well, hey, you coach, I mean, it would be great if they, in reality, if they turn into the Alabama of the West, but opposite, right? Like Alabama became the rehab for offensive coaches because obviously Nick Saban's the defensive architect. So USC can be the rehab for defensive coaches. Lincoln Riley's the offensive architect, but hey, we'll bring all your smart defensive guys that just need somewhere to, to rebuild your careers and just continue being great. Like, yeah, why not? That would be if it did become culture rehab, that would be good. Because I mean, there's playoff appearances and that means national championship appearances and things like that. Yeah, you need um, that to come along with it, obviously. <laughs> so and, and so the the thing is too, <clears throat> I, I was thinking about this. And how do I say this without sounding crazy? <laughs> national championship isn't the goal for USC. And just hear me out when I say this, right? If we go Texas year, right? If we have years like Texas, eventually we will need to win a national championship, right? But if you go years like Texas where you go and you're competing in a national championship and you come up short or you get deep into the playoff and make up because college football landscape has changed, right? But if you go and you win 12 to 15 games because you're playing much more games now and you're competing constantly, I think the boosters will be happy and money will come in and eventually like one will pop. It's hard to win a national championship. People can't do what Nick Saban does and everybody's expecting the Nick Saban type thing. That's hard to do. Look at uh, Clemson. Clemson did it for a run. 
They were in there what, two out of three years, and then they kind of fell off. The goal is to be competitive at a very high level, right? Compared to, sorry, Jamal, but compared to UCLA, it's to be competitive at a productive level. The goal for USC is to be competitive at a high level. So I'm talking playoff appearance, semifinal appearance, national championship appearances. That's acceptable, right? Eventually one will pop, but if you do it multiple times over multiple years, and I'm talking like eight out of ten, you know what I mean? Like people are like, damn, this is a pretty good program. And and between those eight and ten times you win two or three, you're you're on a pretty good run. And that is the expectation of college football. And the only school that still accepts that is Penn State, right? And Penn State doesn't even go to the playoff. They just have high rankings, 10 wins, and then they just disappear, right? <clears throat> we can't disappear. We have to go to semis. We have to go to the national championship game multiple times in order for it to work. I'm not guaranteeing you'll win them all, but that needs to be the level of the mark, if that makes sense. Go ahead, Jamal. See it, Bruin. What's your rebuttal on that? No, that no rebuttal, actually, Fred. I think what you're describing is the college basketball model. Right is now college football is going to resemble college basketball a lot more because when you talk about a 12-team playoff, and let's not kid ourselves, it'll be 12-team playoff for six or eight years, and then it's probably going to expand to 16, and you know that's where this is headed. But you're talking about a situation where if you're not one of the four best teams in the country, you have to win four consecutive top 12 games to be national champion. That is an incredibly hard thing to do in terms of motivation, in terms of discipline, in terms of injury to be able to pull it off. And so what you're essentially describing here, Fred, is exactly the college basketball model. Look, Coach Mike Krzyzewski of Duke, 35 years, considered the greatest college basketball coach in the modern era. He won five national championships in 35 years. You know, we talk about in the modern era of college basketball, the last 10, 15 years, John Calipari, who in many ways is very similar to Lincoln Riley in terms of being able to produce tremendous pro prospects. He has one national championship. A Bill Self has, you know, two national championships. So the numbers of national championships are going to be very few and far between in college basketball because it's so hard to win six single elimination games and be cutting down those nets. In the same way, it's almost going to be impossible to win four consecutive top 12 games. You probably need to be a top four team to win three in a row. And even that is so difficult. So I agree with you, Fred. I think we're just headed towards more of a college basketball model. The way we think about Nick Saban right now, I think is the way the college basketball world thought about John Wooden. John Wooden Mm -hmm. won 10 national championships in 12 years. That's never going to be replicated again, given the expansion of the sport, given how difficult it is to navigate the tournament. I think we're in a very similar predicament now where Saban winning 6-12, going to 9-15, you know, that level of success I think is going to be an impossibility given this new era of the sport. And so if you can win it once every eight or nine years, but you're in the top 12, you're in the top eight, that's going to become the new definition of success. Ryan, you got anything on that? You know, that scene in uh, old school, uh, the debate scene with Will Ferrell and the, the raging Cajun. And after Will Ferrell goes, raging Cajun says, we have, that was perfect. We have nothing to add. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, it's literally, that's the way college football is going to be. You get, you get there, you get in the dance, you win, you win some years. You, you know, you obviously USC should win some national championships. We're not, we're not downplaying that this is an elite program that should be a top five program every single year. 
but just the way college football is, it is going to be so, and with NIL and all the other factors, it is going to be so dang hard to stack these national championships like it was in your, not like it wasn't hard in years past, but it's going to be even harder now because of the road you got to go through because the amount of games you now play, the amount of games you got to win and whatnot. So as long as SC makes the playoff almost every year and, and, you know, wins some, and then obviously, you know, gets a couple, I think that's a successful program. Definitely. With that being said, I think we could call that a wrap gentlemen. Good enough show. Um, also, Division Weekend, go to underdogfantasy.com, go to the Google Play Store to download it, the Apple App Store to download it. Ultimate Fantasy League, you can pick. Right now, if I were you guys, I would pick what I call the fall parlay. Pick a playoff game, a hockey game, and a basketball game. You can pick between two and six. Get it all together. Mix it in. Put in code. USC LAB will match up to $100 over under over under touchdowns, yardage, goals, hoops, all that good stuff. And when you some cash, that's underdog fantasy. <clears throat> Guys, Coach, I, I almost won uh I almost won twelve hundred bucks last night. There you go. One one player off. And guess guess what cost me? What? So Kyron Williams, I think the over under for carry oh, hurt his, his fifteen point five. Finished with thirteen because he got hurt in the fourth. Oh quarter. man. That was the one I missed. To win twelve hundred bucks, so but still got underdog fantasy. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I real quick before we wrap this up, I like for you go to sleep. I like go through reels on Instagram. That's like my, I don't know. It's really bad. I need to stop doing that. And it's always these reels like of people wife, who are huh? like, <laughs> there's always people who uh they show these reels like one bet away from hitting the big one. They're always one 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 leg away from hitting the big one. That was you, Ryan. You was. A, one leg away from paying for your Arizona trip. Yep. Well, I got, I got, well, I got one. Another, another SC buddy of mine loves to sports bet. You know, I tell him all the time about all of our sponsors. He did a March Madness bet two years ago, oh, fifteen team parlay. Okay, and it was like a hundred and twenty dollar bet. And if all fifteen games hit, it was like a seventy five grand. You know, he would have won because it was just so unlikely, right? I mean, fifteen games. My goodness. The first 14 games hit, okay? And the 15th game, all he needed to, to have happen was Texas to beat Abilene Christian in the first round, that 3-14 game. And Texas was sort of dorking around the whole game. And three seconds to go, and Texas is up 50-49, to 49, and they foul the Abilene Christian guy. The Abilene Christian guy was like a 40% free throw shooter. With all this pressure, all the stakes, the Abilene Christian guy sticks both free throws. Texas can't hit the shot, and my buddy loses everything. 51 to 50 on the 15th game because the Abilene Christian guy, who's 40%, sticks both free throws. And we were this Ooh. close to calling Scott Van Pelt and, and S do an SVP bad beat. Yeah. That was super well, bad beat. That is the fun. That's the fun part of. <laughs> That's the fun part about sports betting. I uh I've actually I'll tell you guys offline. Hey guys, it it's been real, it's been fun. We appreciate you guys, appreciate all your listeners. We got special guests coming on on Thursday. So Friday, tune in. You guys be excited. This one. All of our fireless will be excited for the special guests coming on Thursday. So it'd be worth tuning in. I appreciate everybody listening. Can't do this without you. You guys keep subscribing. I just learned if you hit the like, it also brings it up in your algorithm. Gets more people out there to see us. 
All-Star Sooner fans, hit the like. You guys hit the like button, too, because you sure do love us. I appreciate it. Hey, you guys know how it goes. Live free. Fight on.